Kia ora koutou. welcome to the panel, RNZ National. Lovely to have your company. I'm Wallace Chapman, Amy Carter and Mark Sainsbury with me today. National MP Sam Uffendell to stay as an MP in the National Party. Leader Christopher Luxton received the report by KC Maria Jew into historical allegations of bullying by Uffendale late last week. National Party President Sylvia Wood says an investigation into allegations against the MP did not substantiate allegations of bullying outside of his time at King's College. Um, it was revealed that Uffendale was kicked out of his boarding school as a 16-year-old for beating a younger student. And a woman who flattered with Uffendale at Otago University claimed the MP had been aggressive, an aggressive bully who once pounded on her bedroom door, screaming obscenities until she fled through her window. Allegations backed up by her father. Regarding that, Maria Jew concluded the event was not as reported after an allegation was made to RNZ uh, by one of Uffendale's former university flatmates. However, the incident did cause the woman involved harm. Here's what Luxon and Uffendale had to say at today's press conference. Sam himself has previously acknowledged publicly that he engaged in unacceptable behaviour during his time at King's College and has apologised for this. Secondly, I was disturbed, as many people would have been, by the serious allegation made by a former flatmate at Otago University. The investigation has found there are differing accounts of an incident that happened 20 years ago. However, as Sylvia has outlined in her summary of the report's findings, the investigation concluded that Sam did not engage in the serious behaviour towards his flatmate that was alleged in the media. I'm not able to go into details, but I want to acknowledge that there was a genuine breakdown in the flat relationship and things were said that I now realise my flatmate overheard. I apologise and regret my part in that. All right, with us is Dr Grant Duncan, lecturer in politics at Massey University. Kia ora, Dr Duncan. Kia ora, Wallace. All right, so, Stam Staves, do you want to comment on whether uh, you feel this, this was the right decision? I think under the circumstances it is. The, the upshot is that uh, Mr Uffendale is reinstated to caucus and he'll seek re-election, re-selection sorry, for the next general election. Uh, he's been very clear that he regrets the wrongs and the harms that he's done. Uh, but I think that the investigation, although we can't read the full report because of confidentiality, the investigation has been done by a very credible person and I think we should just take seriously what we've heard at the press conference today. Okay, so what about that? I mean, the report itself, as you say, unlikely to be released, um, but a lot of people I see uh, on social media questioning uh, the decision also um, releasing the report would surely explain some of the decision-making. Do you think that should be released so we can all see it? Uh, No, for the protection of privacy of the people who've been affected. He was stood down pending the investigation, and yet here he was out and about. This came up in the press conference too. I mean, there was a post of him posing uh, at the Tauranga Women's Expo National Party stand. I mean, was that appropriate? Well, I guess it sort of presupposed that he was more or less going to be uh, reinstated, wasn't it? And so I guess probably by this weekend he already knew that because the report came out on Thursday. So 
he and uh, I guess the party leadership would have had a chance to look at it by that stage. I think the important thing here is that if he's re-selected for the next general election, then it's now up to the people of Tauranga to draw their conclusions, and I think we should await that. Okay. I'll get the panellists to jump in very soon, but Grant, is this going to be an issue for a law and order party? Some people might view Sam Uffendale as getting a second chance when others don't get that chance. I can I heard one journalist ask, trying to ask Lutzen, particularly for Māori who might view this as someone getting some sort of preferential treatment. Well, he was a consequence when he was more or less expelled from King's College. And as I say, it's now up to the people of Tauranga to uh, you know, make their judgment on him. Amy, how do you feel about this? Where do you lie with regards to the decision? Um, I think the process seems to be run really well and um, I don't think Luxon really has much of a choice if, um, if the, the reporters come out showing what it appears it has. Um, and yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, there's obviously far more experienced political people on the panel today. But from my view, I think yeah, Tauranga now has to make the decision. They will know him. It's not that big a town, so there's other issues that will become clear pretty quickly. Okay, handing it over to the people of Tauranga says uh, Amy uh, Mark Sainsbury. Well, Wallace, I've got a slight, not a conflict of interest. I know the young woman who made the complaint. I know her father known them both for a long, long time. I knew about this incident before Uffendale even stood for Parliament. I remember when he had to go down and, and, and set her up with a, with, with a new flat. And what I've, so, what, so what I've found interesting is the language in this report. They started saying he was cleared. Now they're saying did not substantiate. There are differing views. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand, you know, some people were interviewed and then they did their report. So this idea that somehow exoneration or cleared doesn't seem to sit and I just wonder whether this will be the end of it because effectively what he was saying is the woman was not telling the truth that's what he said I don't accept that what she said that this thing even happened and you had a Q, you had a K, now a KC looked into it interviewed some of the people and then they basically come back and said well it could not substantiate this bullying it's sort of, I think we're no further ahead than where we, we were when she appeared on Morning Report some weeks ago that sort of set this whole thing off. Yeah, and Grant, I mean, of that and flowing on from that, I mean, the the issue is, would it pass the sniff test? I mean, is this going to be a, a lingering issue? And will this issue indeed bleed away for National in the next uh, uh, months? Well, first of all, uh, certainly the National Party leaders and Uffendale himself have accepted that there was a breakdown in relationships in that flat. So something did go wrong, and Uffendale has expressed some uh, regrets, and he's even apologised for some of the harm that was caused at that time. So there's no sense here that the National Party is pretending that nothing happened in that flat, although I doubt her marks greater inside information about this. But I think, yes, it will go on. But as as I say, there's there's still another couple of tests to to come. And the first is, of course, the reselection process that the National Party will have to go through prior to the next election. If the man is reselected, then it's over to the people of Tauranga to, to pass their judgment. Mark? Yeah, look, look. the, the one thing I do know is what this, the, the disagreement between the people, how it started, was over a desire by, I think, the girls in the flat to get a cleaner. 
and to have a roster for cleaning the toilet, and that wasn't going to happen. So, but and and the other thing, I remember when it first occurred. The thing politically that seemed to me the most almost the most toxic, even though it sounds a bit banal, was that you know that phrase "hit the road, fatty." Now, when you heard that, you thought every female voter in this country will be just bristling at that stuff. And then the photos came out of the underwear, you know, on the trophy wall and all this sort of stuff. So it's left of sort of there's a bit of damaged goods there. But National, of course, are in a terrible position because either if they if they dropped them, they would have had to have a by-election or leave an MP sitting there. It was a, it was a terrible outcome. But I just go, look, I do not know. Mr. Uffendale. So I can't attest to that, but I do know this young woman involved. She's a very, you know, she doesn't do drugs. She hardly drinks. She's a very serious person. It's not someone just to make something up. And that's what always in these situations sort of leaves you sort of, you know, concerned. I, you know, she was the last, didn't want any publicity of this, didn't want to get involved. But this is sort of almost the worst of all results. But yeah. just sort of, poof. And yet, as, as Dr. Duncan said, we've got this very eminent uh, KC, Maria Jew, who's, uh, you know, compiled this report. I mean, uh, what, what, where to from here, Grant? What can be learned from this about issues such as candidate selection? Well, I think it was actually admitted at the press conference that the National Party should really have been up front with voters about the a bullying incident at uh, King's College prior to the by-election. And the point is to be to front-foot these things and to be honest with voters about your past. Don't try to hide things. And then if there is some kind of skeleton in the closet, bring it out and then give um, voters a chance to judge whether you have moved on, whether your behaviour has improved, whether you're appropriately contrite for what you've done and that you're not going to do that kind of thing again. Now, that's the mistake that the National Party made before the by-election, that they didn't front up to voters about Sam Uffendale's past. Fair point, Amy. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you need, if, I can't think why you'd enter politics without wanting to air those sorts of things immediately from day one. But you never know, other bullies in Parliament have gone on to be Speaker of the House. So. <laughs> and look, to give him credit, he well, did what admit you, it. To, to the to the to the pan, you know, when he when he was put himself forward for selection, um, mm. but it, it raises and we've talked about this before, Wallace, on this very program. The issues they've had with their candidates um, and MPs who have just been involved in such objectionable behaviour, you know, leaking medical records, you know, sending pornographic memes, right. all that stuff. You know, they've got a big. The problem is in that administrative side of things. All right, and also just Amy, just let's be very careful about sort of throwing yeah, throwing names yeah. around willy Bit nilly. Naughty. You know, yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, just 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 a note on that, uh, Doctor yeah. Grant Duncan Kiora. Thank you for your time. That's uh, Doctor Duncan, lecturer in politics at uh, Massey University. Eighteen past four. The panel are in Z National. The state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II is to be held tonight, 10pm New Zealand time. RNZ's live coverage from 9. At Westminster Abbey before some 2,000 guests and visiting heads of state, there will be a two-minute national silence at the end of the funeral. There hasn't been a royal funeral at Westminster Abbey for a British monarch since King George II in 1760. The nation's last state funeral was for Winston Churchill in 1965 when the late monarch took the throne in 1952, an estimated 4 billion people will be watching the Queen's funeral. Dr Sidney McCreary is a British monarchy historian at the University of Sydney. Dr McCreary, welcome to the panel. 
Thank you, Wallace. A very significant event, very historic event, and must surely be one of the largest funerals, if not the largest, in modern history. I agree. I think this is something that we can see as a global phenomenon. It's not just a funeral for a British monarch or indeed for the head of the Commonwealth. It's a funeral to farewell a woman who I think in different ways reached many people around the world. And although she was uh, a queen, uh, for the people who met her personally speak about her warmth, her connection, her interest in their lives. And I think that's something that is a remarkable legacy. What I've been finding most interesting is actually, Cindy, because there's been, a, as one of our panellists suggested, an enormous amount of uh, commentary, just volumes of it. What I've really enjoyed is the, the the voices of people also in the queues. And he's not ordinary, but David Beckham saying, why did he queue up? Because he's from the East End. Uh, that's part of his culture. Granddad would have queued up if he was here. Quite extraordinary. I agree. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of the people who are paying their respects speak about remembering not just the Queen, but a loved one in their own lives. And I think for many people, this this funeral will bring back memories of grandparents, parents, people who in particular may have had a particular reverence for the Queen. So by paying their respects, people are also showing their reverence and respect for their own family members. The Queen broke with tradition that has decreed funerals for British kings and queens be held at St George's Chapel at Windsor. Why, why did you choose the Abbey? Well, I think the simple reason is that the Abbey is much, much bigger than St George's Chapel. And after 70 years on the throne, it was only appropriate that the funeral be of a size and scale that could accommodate, for example, not just heads of state and members of foreign royal families, and her own family, but also ordinary people. So, for example, from Australia, we have 10 everyday Australians who are accompanying the Prime Minister and Governor-General to the funeral. And that simply wouldn't have been possible at St George's Chapel. All right. Let's see what our panellists think of this. What about you, Amy? How have you been following this, or have you not, or what? Yeah, I have been following it. I think, I mean, yeah, incredible woman that I agree has touched many lives. Um, I think there's two layers into it. There's the deeply personal family that's grieving, and I was quite um, sad to see, um, you know, the the honour from the grandchildren and and the children standing around her coffin. Gosh, that, that looked traumatic. I felt very sorry for them. Um, but I, yeah, I think we need to see the highlights. I, I'm certainly not going to sit and watch 20 hours of it. That's for sure. But you, are you going to watch it tonight? It's past my bedtime. It's fair okay. to say. <laughs> So that's a no. All right. Uh, Let's bring our panel. Mark. Yeah, well, listen, uh, Dr. McCreary, I mean, I'm interested in your perspective. I I had, dare I say it, raised at the beginning of the program the fact that I'm a bit over it. I think it's been just Mm. too much. Um, you know, it was right at the beginning, entire news bulletins devoted to nothing else. And I found yeah. that disproportionate. Um, am, am I out of step here? Is, it was, or was that a feeling you're seeing in Australia as well? Look, there are definitely a range of views. And I think you're entirely normal in feeling fatigued by the coverage. It is extraordinary, as, as, as many people have commented. But on the other hand, this is the monarch that I think most of us alive today have always known, whatever our thoughts on monarchy. Um, and I think that that sort of 24-hour news coverage, in a sense, is actually quite a small amount of time to, to give to someone who reigned for 70 years and whose reign affected so many people. 
so I, I think next week when we've recovered our strength a bit, we may look back and think that was understandable. But I take your point that not everyone is going to be staying up very late to watch this and that some people may, of course, be completely uh, not just over it, but, but against this focus on someone who, after all, is not a, a, a leader who was elected on merit. How will the royal family need to change? Well, I think that we're already seeing this, that we're seeing the focus on the vertical line of succession. In other words, the focus will be on Charles, William, George, and that there will be less attention given to the sort of horizontal branches of the royal family, if you will. And I think that that's important because Charles is trying to advocate for a slimmed-down monarchy, a less expensive monarchy, and, and also, to be frank, a monarchy which hopefully won't be as engulfed with turmoil in the way that the behavior of Andrew and the relationship with Harry has recently um, created headlines. So I think Charles is very much wanting to show, if you will, the future, the youth, but also in hopefully the sort of wholesomeness uh, of the royal family. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, there's a real range of views. There's quite something. People are, are highly invested in this, Cindy, or they really reflect Mark Sainsbury here, who said he's absolutely uh, over it. Um, but what will the, what are the next conversations we'll be having? Of course, one thing I'm really interested in, actually, is, and I know that a lot of people, for example, my mum, uh, absolutely stands by and loves, here's an example, the Queen's message at 6pm on Christmas Day. I can't mm. imagine King Charles III giving me the same sort of Queen's, King's message as I was given by the Queen. I think many people would share that view, but I would point to Charles's first speech that he delivered. Uh, and I thought how cleverly he actually echoed a lot of the messages and right. themes of his mother's Christmas broadcast. And of course, older listeners will remember the broadcasts of her father, George VI, and grandfather, George V. So those broadcast messages were not unique to Elizabeth, um, but I would agree that she has absolutely put her stamp on those. And it will be weird to sit down to Christmas dinner without thinking about the Queen's the Queen's message. Uh, meanwhile, for you, Dr. McCree, much more to come with us. We have, what, the coronation in a year, is that right? Well, I don't know that the date has been announced, ah. and the key here is to remember that Charles needs to give due um, respect to his mother and not have a coronation that follows too soon after the funeral. On the other hand, he is 73, and I think he won't want to wait the 16 months that his mother waited after the, the funeral of her father. So I think we would expect to see a coronation in maybe spring or summer of the Northern Hemisphere next year. Dr. Sidney McCreary, British monarchy historian at the University of Sydney. Thank you very much, Dr. McCreary, uh, on that. It is 26 past four, and on the back of that, gosh almighty, Mark Sainsbury uh, has almost um, broken the <laughs> text machine with his absolutely inappropriate comments this afternoon in time of morning. Um, and uh, yet... Um, well, see, that's the other thing. That's the yeah. other thing, Wallace. People keep saying, oh, you shouldn't be saying these things. Look, for, sort of for how, long, for, for how long? I mean, if you're going to talk about that, we go back to the Sam Uffendahl thing. If you talked about people time and morning, how appropriate was it from the release that report, you know, on the eve of the Queen's... It's like they're trying to bury the, right. the report with the Queen. Um, <laughs> well, having said that, having said you... There's a lot of support with you. Total mark, with all the pre-planning for this Queen, 
they could have done a pre-recorded message <laughs> for people to stay home, wash the box with a cup of tea and a marmalade semi, rather than standing for days in massive yeah. queues with all the associated security issues and health concerns for the elderly. Um, yay for Mark. Thank goodness. Someone, someone is saying this out loud. Lovely. Well, Guy Espinet, he got it. He he dipped his toe in the waters on Morning Report. Well, you, well yeah, but, you're, but you're not just dipping your toe, mate. You're you're really giving it um, all you got, Mark. Well, look, um, and I come back, Wallace, and I'll say this again. I have an absolute respect for her as a woman. It doesn't I, I, sound I mean, like you do, but yes, I do. But what I but what I still think is, I mean, how long does this sort of? It, it's it's the. It's it's that you know all of the TVNZ all the all the all the news agencies have sent staff have poured a fortune into covering the story. I, you, I'd like to see the same. Stuff when you, you've done this yes. sort of stuff when you edited, but I on, saw you on these when, junkets. I know, but when we did say that you go back to uh, Princess Diana's funeral, which I was the correspondent for, we, yeah, we discussed see? before. Media was different though, but we didn't have Paul Holmes. I think came over, but this one. Every new media organisation has literally sent dozens of people over. All I'm saying is I hope they deal with other issues, substantive issues, with the same rigour and financial commitment. Mark Sainsbury, what a curmudgeon. Has he done anything (laughs) vaguely noteworthy for 70 years? No, he hasn't, but that's not the point. Um, It's not your mother waiting again, is it, (laughs) Wallace? Amy, do, do you have anything else to add before we move on? I'm really interested in some of the logistics. How many portaloos are involved in this queue? Yeah, like, exactly. Just, those... I did actually know that because I read that somewhere. Because I, that's fascinating. <laughs> that is fascinating. Uh, now, by the way, we have also had a, quite a correspondence. We're talking, going to be talking about this chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, Pat says, uh, my daughter went from a fit student studying at Oxford University to living in a wheelchair from a very sudden attack of a CFS. Auckland Hospital Neurologist said she was faking and needed a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said she was fine. That was over four years ago, and her whole life has been turned upside down. Finally, she is beginning to be able to study again, but if she works too long, she'll be asleep and in a pain for a week. There are so many like her. Now, we've had quite a a bit of correspondence on chronic fatigue syndrome. We talk about that in about mm, 10 minutes' time.